My name is Ken, and I'm the location pastor here in Avon. Really glad that you're here today. Uh, this is our second week of 2021. How's it going? Yeah, I know. first couple of uh, services I've asked people, like, how's it going? It's like, cricket, cricket. It's like, I know it's tough. Let's just wait and see, right? It's still early uh, to, to determine how this year is going to go. But usually in the first, uh, first part of the year, uh, New Year's, we make our resolutions. And I'm going to ask you, how many of you decided you're going to venture out and you're going to make some resolutions? Okay, no one. Fantastic. I'm glad you're here today. Yeah. It's one of those things like, man, 2020 was so difficult on resolutions. Like, I don't know about you, but I struggled. I, I, I think I kept one. Unless your resolutions were to wear masks, not go to the gym and gain weight, I mean, you're probably struggling with New Year's resolutions. So this year, you're like, I don't know. Let's just wait. Let's see what happens in March. We'll make them in March. Well, I made mine. I didn't make them the first of the year. I made mine sometime in December. So it's not a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lie to myself, whatever it takes, right? But why do we make resolutions? Why do we set goals for ourselves? And a lot of times, it's just because we know there's areas of our life that are not where we want them to be. And so we say, you know what? This is where I want to grow this year. This is, these are some of the changes that, that I, want, I want to make. And, you know, it could be about finances. It could be about your weight. It could be about your health. It could be about relationships. I mean, there's all different kinds of areas of our life where we, we evaluate where we're at and we see, is this, is this acceptable? This is where we want to be or do we want to grow? And even spiritually, uh, hopefully you're thinking through like where you're at spiritually, your relationship with God, and where, where can you grow in that area? And if you've not taken some time up to this point to do that, well, this weekend we're going to hopefully help you set some spiritual goals for your life so that this year can be different. Let me ask you this. and I, I know only one or two people raised their hands, so you don't have any New Year's resolutions. But let me ask you this. If there was one area where you could make a change this year, what would it be? I'm not going to hold you accountable. You're not going to tell me. This is not your New Year's resolution, but, it, you know, play along. What if there's an area of your life that you could change? What would it be? Finish this sentence, not out loud, but in your head. This year, I'm finally going to, and then fill in the blank. You see, so you do know there are some areas of your life that you want to change. But just knowing that you want to change doesn't make it so. I wish it did. I wish just knowing that I wanted to be thinner would make me thin. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love that? I just wish, like, eating right, uh, I, I could just be healthy. But knowing something doesn't make it happen. And spiritually, just knowing that you need to grow in an area doesn't make it happen. So uh, today, we're going to look at our family and friends check-in. It's an opportunity for you to evaluate where you're at, and we're going to look at some nine markers that maybe can challenge you that you revisit and where you're going to grow. Knowing something needs to change doesn't always equate to that change. Because if that were the case, we wouldn't struggle with change. We live in a day and age where we have access to more information than ever before. Did you know that? According to IBM, the doubling of knowledge has gone from 25 years. This is back in 1945. In 1945, is every 25 years, knowledge would double. To today, every 12 hours. Every 12 hours, the knowledge that we know doubles. So we have access 
because of devices like this in the internet to find out whatever we want to know. How many of you have heard, your name is mud? You've heard that phrase. Okay, now I've determined, I can see who's 50 and older in here. Because if you're, if you're under 50, you're like, ah, well, your name is mud. What does that mean? So let's find out. Hey, Siri. Where does your name is mud come from? Okay, I found this on the web for where does your name is mud come from. Check it out. You, you can even find out where does your name mud come from. You want to know where it comes from? Look it up. <laughs> it has to go back to, there's a doctor. His name was Dr. Samuel Mudd. And he set the bone for the person who assassinated President Abraham Lincoln. They thought he was a co-conspirator. Eventually, he was, he was uh, vindicated. But that's where the popular theory comes from. And so you can Google that. If you're more of a visual learner, you can go to YouTube. You can learn anything on YouTube. So last, last night, uh, I was telling the worship team that. I was like, you could probably even become a brain surgeon. So our worship director's like, <laughs> and he's like, ooh, yeah, showing someone having brain surgery. If you need brain surgery, hopefully your doctor has better credentials than I watch YouTube. But you can find access to any information that you want, which is why most people spend at least seven hours a day on a screen. Screens are everywhere. They're very much a part of our life, especially now since we've gone through this pandemic. Most of our jobs are remote. And so we're on computers, we're on screens all day long. We're on Zoom, some type of, uh, of device where we're connecting with other people. Screens are everywhere. Do you know that you can buy a refrigerator with a screen in it? It's a thing now. So you don't have to sit on your couch. You can put your couch right in front of your refrigerator, open the door, give food and eat. Yeah, it's a mess. But we have access to more information than ever before. But here's the problem. We have access to more information, more content, but we feel more disconnected than ever before. We have access to more content than ever before, but we feel more disconnected than ever before. Maybe that, that statement resonates with you. This past year, while you've been able to connect to the rest of the world, you feel disconnected um, in, in your life which is why we wanted to do a series right out of the gate called Social Not Working. And the idea behind it is while we connect through technology to the rest of the world, there are meaningful relationships in our life that we've become disconnected. And we're not the ones that discovered this. I w wish we could take credit like the internet's bad and devices are bad. We're not saying that. But there is, a, there is an impact in our lives. Would you agree that technology and screens have impacted our lives? So I found some memes on the internet that are poking fun at themselves about how social media has impacted us. The first one is it can just control your life. You ever felt that way? Like you're constantly being bombarded by that. It's not just adults. It's even children. There are kids that all they've ever known are screens. Like there wasn't a time in their life to like, what, what do you mean? No computers. You, you didn't have a cell phone, dad? It's like, yeah, there was a time back in the day where you didn't have a cell phone. Siri was just a person's name. But maybe this next one was you, or, or you've seen this one. You've been at a restaurant, and any of you done that? You're at the restaurant, and you're just on your phone the entire time? 
I'm guilty of that one. But I think the worst one, the most devastating one, is social media has really impacted our tan lines. <laughs> it has affected us in so many different ways. And so our goal this weekend is to help you to be able to disconnect from that and grow in not only your relationships, but your relationship with God. You see, we don't have an information problem. We have an application problem. It's what we do or don't do with that information that's affecting how we live our lives. So Paul's writing to a church in Rome. It's the book of Romans. And they're, they're dealing with similar issues where they have all the right information. It's what they do with that information that sets them on a trajectory. And that's what I want to look at today. So what did they know? There's four things that Paul's sharing with them that they knew that he wanted them to know. The first one's found in first, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can pull it out and follow along, or you can follow along on the screens. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. Paul's writing here, and he says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. One of the things that Paul wanted to make sure that the people in Rome understood is that they would know the good news. They would know the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul wanted to make sure that everyone that he loved and cared about knew this truth. He spends the first 11 chapters unpacking all the different truths that have to do with the doctrines of salvation, being made right with, with God. Chapter 12, which we started last week, was the application to all that truth. And so he wants to make sure that all the people in Rome know that the gospel is available to you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes us right with God. So that's the first truth that he's sharing with them that they would know. The second, the second piece of information that they got was they knew that it was faith that saved them and not their works. Look at verse number 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. So if you have your Bibles or you have your app open and it allows you to underline or highlight, un underline or highlight that phrase, how God is the one that makes us right. This is accomplished from start uh, to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And Paul's wanting to let them know this is very important. Don't miss this. It's not you that makes you right with God. It's God that makes you right with him. Most people, when you ask your friends, your neighbors, if you get into a conversation like, are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know that? Usually the response is, I'm a good person. You know, I've not killed anybody lately. You know, I... I help my neighbor, you know, I don't drink a whole lot. And they'll give you all the reasons why they're a good enough person to get to heaven. But Paul's letting the people at Rome, he's letting us know, it's not your good deeds that get you to heaven. It's God who makes you right with him. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 7, and he says, On the day of judgment, which is a future event, he said, There will be many that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we've done this in your name, and we've done this in your name, and we've done this in your name. And they're going to list all the good things that they've done in the name of Jesus. And when you finish reading that verse, Jesus' response to them is, Depart from me. I never knew you. 
Because it isn't your good deeds that get you to heaven. It's faith. The third thing that he wanted them to know was that God is not okay with sin and that he deals with it. Look at verse number 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So I want you to know that God is not up in heaven going, oh, they didn't mean that. We have this view of that God's this old guy with a long beard that's sort of senile, and he doesn't know what's going on. And that's not God at all. He's not up going in heaven going, oh, they're good people. God looks at our behavior. He looks at our actions. He looks at our thoughts. He looks at the intent of our heart. And because he's holy and he's righteous, he can't just say, eh, they didn't mean it. God deals with sin one of two ways. Either he forgives it or he judges it based on what you do with your sin. And for most people, they want to suppress that truth. It's not a big deal. It's a little mistake. We'll call it a mistake. We'll call it a bad habit. Um, we'll blame other people for the situation we find ourselves in. We, we, we downplay what we call, what we don't call sin. But God calls it sin. And because it's sin, he has, to, he has to deal with it. He can't just let it go. And Paul wants these people, because he cares about them, he wants them to know that God sees sin and he deals with it. Either he forgives it or he judges it. The last thing that Paul's wanting them to know is that God is the one that created the world and that through his creation, we see his eternal power and his divine nature. Look at verse number 19 and 20. So they knew the truth about God because God is the one that made it obvious to them. So God's not trying to hide truth from us. He makes it very clear who he is and what he's done. He's made it true to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, namely his divine power, uh, his eternal power, and his divine nature. And here's the reason why Paul is sharing all this information with them so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Why does Paul want them to know the truth of the gospel? Why is he laying out all these different teachings and doctrines about how to be made right with him? Because he doesn't want anybody that he loves and cares about to stand before God and go, I didn't know that. Because they do know. Creation reveals. Creation reveals that there's a creator. And in that is, is detail and color. Uh, God says, I want you to know that there's eternal power and divine nature in creation. Why is that so important? Because you can know all the right things, but if you don't apply the truths to your life, then nothing changes. You can know the right truth, but that doesn't get you connected to God. So maybe you've heard all this. You say, I've heard that information before, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the things that I've been involved in. God cannot forgive me. Well, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there is no asterisk in that verse. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, except if you've done this. It doesn't say that. If you are willing to humble yourself, 
Turn from your disobedience and selfishness towards God and others and humbly ask him to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says that he will. That is the truth that Paul wants us to know and was telling them. And for 11 chapters, he unpacks that truth so that they are without excuse. So knowing all of that, knowing that there's this powerful and eternal God that loves us and has forgiven us, that's going to judge sin and has made everything possible so that we can be made right with him, you would think that their response would be, yes, I want to worship that God. I want him to forgive me of my sins. But let's look at their response. Verse number 21. Yes, they knew God, but... Yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious and ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere men and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse number 25. So they knew the truth but they traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So Paul lays out everything that they need to know so they can stand before God and say, Jesus Christ has paid my sins, but they chose to reject it. They chose not to apply it. See, if just knowing all those things made you right with God, then Satan himself would be right with God because Satan knows God exists. He knows that God created the world. He knows God will judge sin. He knows that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and rose again. He was there. He saw all of it. But he's not right with God. Why? He knows all the right stuff. It's because he's never applied the truth of the gospel to his own life personally and repented of his sin and asked Jesus to forgive him. He's not applied the truth. You see, the end result of spiritual growth is increased worship, not increased knowledge. And for many followers of Jesus, they think they're spiritual because they know more than someone else. We are well-educated beyond our level of obedience. So it's not how much you know. How much of what you know do you apply to your life? That's the level of your spiritualness. He uses the word worship here. The word worship means to value, to honor, and to praise. And it's more than just a song. Singing is an act of worship. And Paul's saying that the evidence of your spiritual growth is worship, but it's more than just a song. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when he says body, he's not just talking about your physical body. He's saying all of you. Everything about you is a reasonable act of worship. So your dating life should reflect the purity of Jesus. That is an act of worship. Your marriage should reflect the sacrificial love of Jesus. That is an act of worship. Your finances should reflect the generosity of Jesus. That's an act of worship. Your speech 
should reflect the mercies and grace and truth of Jesus. All those things are an act of worship. You were a created being that was created to worship. But what are you worshiping? So they rejected God. They rejected God's truth. They suppressed it and traded it for a lie. And as a result, they, didn't, they weren't grateful. They weren't thankful. They began to rationalize their decisions. And all that led them to worship. Because we are created beings to worship. But it wasn't to worship God. It was to worship something else. So because they would not apply the truth that Paul was presenting to them, it led them to worship, but it led them disconnected from God. You will worship something. And I think the times we find ourselves in, um, because our patterns and our habits have been so messed up, it's easy for us to take the more convenient route. I think there are two problems with us pursuing convenience, though. The first one is this, convenience rarely means meaningfulness. Convenience is rarely more meaningful. Let me ask you this, if you had the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, would you go or would you rather prefer to watch it at home? How many of you say, I would go at least one time, okay? I think the majority of us say, yes, I'm gonna go. But is it more convenient? Like most likely it's gonna be in another city, So you've got to get a plane ticket. You've got to get a hotel reservation. You've got to get a car from the hotel or the airport to the hotel and a ride from the hotel to the the, uh, stadium. You've got to fight the lines and you've got to pay $400 for a hot dog. It's not more convenient, but it's an experience. I've been to one Patriot game. Here's a picture of my first Patriot game. I went with my dad. (laughs) So six years ago, Pastor Son says, hey, you want to go to the Patriots game with me? And I said, yes. Not because it was more convenient, because it was butt cold. It was like, I think, a negative 100 degrees. I mean, it was freezing. We had those little heat packets in our gloves and our boots, and in other places I will not mention, just to stay warm. We had to fight the lines. We had to fight the drunks. I think they drink to keep warm. I think that's why they bring the hard liquor, you know? The $300 hot dog was worth it, though. I have to say that. But it wasn't more convenient, but it was more meaningful. I still have this picture on my phone from six years. You know what I don't have on my phone? Any other picture of me sitting on my couch watching football. You know why? That's not meaningful. This was meaningful. I got to spend an afternoon with Pastor Sean watching the Patriots, and I believe they won. I believe. I don't know, six years ago. Who knows? But you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times we opt for convenience and we miss out on meaningful. It's harder. Convenience is rarely, um, I'm sorry, sorry, meaningful is rarely easier. A lot of times it's a lot harder. And that's true for our spiritual lives. It's true for our physical lives. It's true for your diet. It's true for your finances. Anything that's harder is rarely convenient. Take food, for example. Man, you pop stuff in the microwave, it's easy. It's horrible for you, right? So usually the things that are convenient are not meaningful, they're not helpful. And just like the Romans, we can head down that path of convenience 
which will lead us, can lead us away from God to where we're actually worshiping something other than God. If we're not careful, we'll go from watching screens to worshiping screens. And from worshiping God to watching God. That's a real, that's a real problem today in the day that we live in. You say, well, how do I know if I've, I've crossed that line? Four questions that you need to answer. First one is this. What do I sacrifice my time for? What do I sacrifice my time for? Question two. Where do I turn to for comfort when I'm hurting? When things are going wrong in my life, where do I turn to? Where do I turn to for direction when I'm confused about something? And the last one I think is very, very telling. Where do I turn to for satisfaction when I feel empty? You worship something. Is it a screen or is it God? Now, I'm not saying that if you watch Grace at home that you don't love Jesus and that you're worshiping your screen. We're not saying that. For a lot of people, they've not come back in person out of safety issues, and that's, that's fine. And they, they love Jesus and they love us. But what we are saying is don't let convenience of watching online replace the meaningful connections that you have with people. And for some people, they've completely disconnected from their relationships with people, even though they're still watching online. I think the second problem with convenience is convenience increases the noise in our life. While everything is so convenient, it adds a lot to our life. I am busier now than I've ever been before because I have so many options in my life. Convenience doesn't mean my life is easier. It can actually make it more complicated. Let God be the refuge from the noise of the world. While the rest of the world is distracted, you can be dedicated to him. While your life is loud, your soul can still be calm. While the world is crazy, your soul can be quiet. But you've got to go to God. The roadmap to growing in your faith is application. It's not knowledge. You have to know something so that you can act on it, yes. But if you don't act on it, the Bible says to know, to hear the word of God, and then not do, you're sort of lying to yourself. So it's the application of truth that helps us grow in our faith. And I believe the nine habits that we have in our family and friends check-in give us sort of a, a guideline to seeing how am I doing in my relationship with God. These, these should be habits that I'm practicing on a daily, uh, a daily routine so that I can grow in my faith. So if you have your phone, again, there's nothing wrong with using your phone, uh, we have an app that has the family and friends check-in. You can open that up or there's gonna be a link on the screen that you can go to. We want everyone... Even though we do it three times a year, we want everyone to do it every time that we have a family and friends check-in because things change. I'm not the same person. I'm not going through the same uh, struggles as I am three, years, uh, three weeks ago or three months ago, six months ago. Things change. And so we want to know where you're at. And so we want you to do a self-evaluation. And we want to know how do you see yourself at Grace Church? We want to have appropriate expectations for you, and you have appropriate expectations for us. And so as you take this, the first part of the check-in is, do you want to be a member? Do you want to be part of the church, the church family? 
So the first question is, are you saved? Have you turned from sin to begin following Jesus? Have you had that all-in moment where you recognize that your sin separates you from God and you say, God, please forgive me? That's what salvation is. If so, you can, you can check yes. Maybe today was the day that you said all in to God. That'd be awesome. The next step is baptism. Have you been dunked since coming to the realization that your sin separates you from Jesus and you've asked God to, to save you? If you've not been biblically baptized, we have one at the end of this month. And you can sign up for that and you can take care of that this month. The, second, the third one is are you in agreement with Grace's teaching? If you're going to join something, you should know a little bit about them. More than just good teaching, good songs, like what do they actually believe? Because if I'm going to be a part of something, I want to know what they believe. There's a link there. You can check it out, the different uh, doctrines, uh, teachings that we have. And then the last question, do you really want to be a member? We don't assume that everyone that comes to Grace Church wants to be a member. And so we simply ask, do you? Are you saved? Are you baptized? Are you in agreement? And do you want to be a member? The next part of our check-in are the nine habits that you can gauge how you're doing spiritually and make appropriate adjustments uh, based on how you respond. So I, I know you can click through and go real fast, but, but, but bear with me and let's go through it uh, uh, slowly here. The first one is generous. Ask yourself these questions. Do I give at least 10, 10% back to God? Do I leverage my money to be a blessing to others? And do I manage all my assets in a way that honors God? How would you answer that? The second one is relational, prioritizing biblical community. Do I participate in life groups? Halftime was about life groups. And again, if you feel isolated and you feel alone, life groups is one of the best ways for you to reconnect yourself with other people who are like-minded in faith. You need that. Not only were you created for worship, you were created for community. And when that's pulled away from us, it has a negative effect in our lives. Do you pursue friendships with other followers of Jesus? Number three, helping others find Jesus. Answer these questions. Do you build relationship with those who are spiritually disconnected? Do you go out of your way to have conversations with people that you know have no relationship with God? And when they ask you about your faith, do you share? Are you willing to invite them to church? Number four, involved. Serving your church family. Do you actively serve on a ministry team? Have you put on the jersey? Have you said, I'm all in? I want to, I want to make a significant impact in my church family. Number five, devoted. Setting a godly example at home. Do you pursue healthy relationships in your family? Do you prioritize your family? And maybe for you, this is an area where you need to make some application. You need to make some adjustments because your family hasn't been a priority. Social media has been more of a priority. Fortnite has been more of a priority. Ooh, don't go there, I know. But other things have been more of a priority than your family. You're, you're at home, but you're not present at home. Maybe that's an area where you need to reevaluate. Responsibility, blessing our community. Do you actively contribute to the well-being of your community? Next month is February, and every February we do Night to Shine. And we are doing it this year. 
We're not going to let that, the pandemic and all the restrictions stop us from doing that. So it's going to look different. But we are still going to be a blessing to our community. And so we're, we're having it. It looks completely different. This is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? There are people in our community who have special need uh, children and adults. And this is one way that we can be a blessing to them. And so we're, we're going to have it. If you want more information about that, I'll, uh, at the end of, of the sermon, uh, I'll let you know what, how, you can, how you can sign up for that. But are you actively contributing to the health of your community? Number seven, we're almost done. Prioritizing weekly service. You say, well, I'm here, hello. Yes, but do you prepare yourself to come here? Your heart, your mind. Do you look forward to coming and, and, and fellowshipping and, and worshiping with like-minded people? And when you hear something from the word of God that says, this is what I need to adjust, are you willing to adjust it? So it's not about just coming and sitting. That's not what this, this is asking you. It's about are you making this a part of how you are being transformed into the image of Jesus? Number eight, faithful, spending regular time with God on your own. It's important, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you spend time that's outside of the weekend with God through prayer, Bible reading, and um, even meditating and memorizing scripture. Do you spend time with God on your own? And then the last one, encouraging, helping your friends, people that you care about, grow in their faith. So are you part of a mentoring group? Do you meet with other people? Ask them how they're doing with their walk. That's something that we should be doing. And maybe this is an area where you're like, you know what, I haven't done that because I haven't been meeting with a whole lot of people. So maybe that's something that you need to revisit and make a habit of your life so that not only can you grow in your faith, but it helps somebody else. And the last question is very important to us. What's one thing that's holding you back from growing in these areas of your life? See, it's that question that when people have answered, have given us one of the... Um, one of the most downloaded sermon series that we've ever done came from that one question. And that's our anxiety and fear series. We saw that a lot of people in church are, are struggling with that. And so we wanted to address it. We want to help you grow in your faith. And so if you'll let us know where you're at and how we can help you grow in your faith, that's, a, that's something that we definitely want to do. If social uh, networking is not working for you and is keeping you disconnected from God and others, what are you going to do about it? To do nothing changes nothing. Knowing that you need to change and doing nothing, there's, there's no change in your life. So what will you do different this year than you did last year? What's one or two things that you say, you know what, I need to get back on track? And that's what I'm going to ask you to pray about. Will you bow your heads with me? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you where are the areas that maybe you've let go a little bit. They were once part of your life and, and you were very strong in that area, but maybe because of this past year and the difficulty of this past year, um, you've got off track. It could be one of these nine areas or it could be something completely different. But to do nothing in that area, then nothing's going to change. You're not gonna grow. If you make changes, then this year can be, uh, have a greater impact than you have, uh, you've ever had before. God, I'm grateful for the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And he lays out for them everything they needed to live a godly life and be pleasing to you.
And for some of them, they rejected that. And God, in our own lives, there are things that we know about ourselves that we choose to be just to ignore to our own detriment, whether that's our health, our finances, relationships, in physical ways, ignoring the things that need to change do not benefit us. But God, spiritually, ignoring that we need to be more dedicated to our family, that we need to be more outwardly focused. God, that we, be, we need to be more generous. Knowing these things and doing nothing about them doesn't help us to become the person that you've called us to be. God, maybe there's someone here that they've heard for the very first time. It's not their goodness that makes them right with you. God, I pray right now that they would ask you for the forgiveness of their sins. They would commit to turning from that and following you with the rest of their life. God, again, thank you for allowing us to know what we need to do. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us the ability to do those things. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.